Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. It is great to be with you guys. Uh, always an honor to preach the Word of God and open the Word of God with you. I have a little video I want to share with you. It's a shameless plug for Michigan. So pay attention. Uh, you may recognize somebody on here. If you do, just uh, pray for them. As they do. But watch this if you would, please. You know, we find that God has called people out to particularly start new churches, new campus ministries in some specific areas that everybody in Michigan knows about. Now it is arguably the most obvious movement of God. Across our state, churches are being planted near the campuses of Michigan State, Western Michigan, Wayne State, and University of Michigan. We know that the church is the answer, that the gospel is the answer, that um, the truth would prevail and that, um, that they would come and, and accept Christ as their Savior. Our mission at New Life is to see the next generation of Detroit college students impacted with the gospel. We want to see every single Detroit college student uh, have an experience where they would know Jesus. The Baptist State Convention of Michigan is supporting these new churches near the campuses to reach not just the students, but others who make up the communities around the colleges. We want to be a church that crosses generations, but is intentionally focused on reaching the next generation. Uh, and so proximity matters. There are a number of people that uh, are graduated or work in the city that, that come, and we see that as an incredible opportunity to blend the city and the campus together. And uh, we think that through that, we're going we're gonna to see the city impacted. So whereas a healthy church is in the community, crime goes down 400%. What a greater explosion if, if heart and soul explodes with uh, discipleship and love and compassion and it just spreads all through the city. Pastor Cornelius Roberson is putting his heart and soul into a part of Detroit that needs community change. So we just knew the people. We knew the vibe. We, we knew the context that we were working with. And so God, it was just a no-brainer. Uh, God just put us in the mix where we already were and just kind of pour our love on every individual that comes in our doorway in the name of Jesus. When you can take a young adult who's attending college and help them to factor in that becoming a part of an active church which has its worship, its ministry of discipleship, its multiplication through evangelism, and they're mobilizing people, that is done nowhere else and in no other organism or organization better than the local congregation. Your gifts are helping start a new wave of churches. Pray about what God would have you give to this year's Francis Brown State Mission Offering. In Michigan, 9.6 million people in Michigan. 4.2 million of those live in the Detroit area the largest density population of Arabic-speaking people outside of the Middle East is in Dearborn and Hamtramck. 
If you want to reach the Arabic world, you want to reach those who are, are practicing Muslims, uh, come to uh, us in Michigan. Let us help you, uh, point you the way so that you can reach folks there and lead them to Christ. Anyway, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, please. Turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Philippians, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. But as a preface to that, I'm going to begin at verse 17 because it all ties together there. Verse 17 in chapter 3 begins as this. Brethren, join in, the, in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the Christ, of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform his lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Then he begins with verse one there. Therefore, and that's why we wanted to read those previous verses. Therefore, my beloved, and long for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Iodia and implore Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with commend also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul is addressing a situation in a, a, a potential situation that could have become a really stinky problem in the local church. It happens all the time, it happens quite regularly. It will happen in your churches, it will happen in your ministry, you will run into people who have interpersonal conflicts that they cannot get past. And so Paul is addressing this. It, it reminds me of a passage over in Ecclesiastes in, verse t in chapter 10 and verse 1 that says, dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A little translation of that. Small things can get in the middle of your ministry and cause it to really smell. It doesn't take much. That is why you need to deal with it quickly. You need to deal with it accurately. You need to deal with it personally and not let those things fester and not let those things turn into something they should not. Throughout the scripture, Paul talked about the church, particularly the church at Philippi, as being one that has sweet aroma about them, a sweet fragrance about them. And so it should be about us. We should be so infused with the love of Jesus, so like him, that wherever we go, whatever we do, people are aromatically drawn to us. Somehow or another, they say, there's something about you I sense about you. I just want to be around you. I want to be like you. We should be drawing people to us instead of repelling them. And here, Paul is addressing this problem. I remember when Sabrina and I were, oh, we had been married a few years. My wife, by the way, is the queen of clean. Clorox is her friend. 
She loves disinfectants. She, she just cleans everything. I, I mean, you can't put something down before it's straightened up, put back in right order. One day I was walking through the kitchen and she was, she had her nose in the air and she was smelling and she, <laughs> I walked by and she starts smelling me, you know, which was a little offensive. But, and I said, Sabrina, what, what's the deal? She said, I smell something. Can't you smell it? Like, no, I, I don't smell a thing. Well, the next day I go in the kitchen as well and she is doing the same thing. She's smelling, I can smell something. It's, it's not good. And by that time, time, I could smell it. I could smell something. There was something not quite right. And so I began smelling and looking and well, by the next half hour, she has everything out of the cabinets, everything on the floor. I mean, it is just torn apart. She's looking for the point of odor. She can't, she can't stand it. Couldn't find it. The next day, it was nasty. It had moved beyond stinky to nasty. And so I, it, my job is I have to start pulling things apart. And eventually what I did, I had to do, I first pulled the refrigerator. I said, oh, there's something, some food or something is dropped behind the refrigerator. We'll find it, we'll find. That wasn't it. I had to pull the dishwasher out of the wall and back behind it, I found it. A little bitty mouse or the remains thereof, and he was ripe. But it didn't take much, it didn't take but just a very small thing to, to create an enormous amount of chaos in my life, in her life, in our, in, in our, and tear up our kitchen. It was a small thing that created a stinky problem. Thus is what Paul is dealing with right here. And he addresses it. The first thing he does in verse one is he addresses the people. Notice what he says, he said, therefore my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. He does so with compassion, beloved. He, it's it's, it's a, a, a genuine term of caring, endearment. He loves these people. When, when, we hear, when I hear Paul using a term like that, it, uh, it just amazes me at the transforming power of Christ. Paul was the man, do you realize that Paul was the man who was going about trying to kill and destroy Christians? That was, his, that was his passion, that was his life. He wanted to wipe out Christianity across the, uh, the face of the country. He did not want it anywhere. He would be what we would call today a modern day terrorist. He was a terrorist, vicious, vile. And now, look at what he's saying. He said, I love you, an agopic love. I love you, you. My beloved. The only thing that can do that, my friends, is the power of the gospel. Never forget, it is not your programming. It, by the way, it is not your preaching. It is not any of your organization. It's not your great communication skills. It's not all of the ideas and wonderful ministries that you think that you're going to have. If it is not the gospel, it will not transform lives. That is how they're transformed. Never move away from the word of God. Never move away from the gospel. That is what our business is. He was sharing, he had the gospel transform his life. Notice what he said about it. He says, you're my loved and longed for brethren. That word there literally has the, the, the base idea of uh, homesickness, an emotional homesickness. He was homesick for them. Now, I know some of you guys may be a little homesick at times. You're away from where you were reared. You're, 
you're not around your family, some of you, and you long for those. You long to be around them. I, and I, I do, I understand that as well. He says, but I long for my, my family, my brothers. And he uses a term there that means part of their family. He says, they're my brethren. I long to be with them. I have a brother and a sister. My parents have, are deceased. Uh, I have two sons and five granddaughters. And if I had pictures, I would put them up here and let you see them, of course. I love my family. But you know, there's another family that I have that I love just as dearly. And sometimes I would rather be with them. And that's my spiritual family. Not my bio biological family, but my spiritual family. The ones who, who I possibly have led to Christ, discipled and brought along in the year. I have a close, eternal bond with them. And I'm away from many of them. When we moved from Florida to Michigan, that's a long way. We left so many behind, and I think about them quite often. I love them. I miss them. I'm homesick for them at times. Paul was in prison, separated from his family, separated from his spiritual family. He was isolated from them. He said, you, I love you guys. I miss you. You're my family, my brethren. He said, you're my joy and my crown. Now, throughout Philippians, we find, it, we call it the book of joy. There's so much joy. He talks about the joy and rejoicing in the Lord, the joy of the Lord. Here he's talking about joy in them. He's talking about the joy he finds in people. My friends, that's, that's going to be one of the greatest parts of ministry that you will have is the joy that you have in seeing people come to Christ, grow in him, become more like him, and become lifelong friends. Danny made rest, reference to that earlier, that we have been lifelong friends. For years and years, we've been friends. He said, my joy, my crown, Think about that crown, He's, the Stephanos. It's, it's not the diadem, the golden crown with a, encrusted with jewels that you might see on some royal leader. It, it was the, the crown of some, the one that was given in a, a victorious race. It was made out of very inexpensive materials, leaves and branches. It was not the material, it was the message that it gave. And he said, you, you're my crown. And one day he will stand before Jesus, as we all will, and we will lay before him our crowns. And those crowns will be people that we have brought to Christ. Those will be people we have led to him. Our crowns. He also addressed them not only with that compassion. But notice he's, in the next part he says, he's, he gives a word of firmness to them. He said, so stand fast in the Lord, my, my beloved, my dearly beloved. Stand fast in them. That term there is the military term that's to, to take a position and to not back up. He said, take a position militarily, so to speak. He said, take that position and don't back up because you will be attacked. You will have conflict within your ministry. You will have interpersonal problems within your church family. Don't back up from what's right. Stand on the word of God because you are going to have that. There's going to be disunity. There's going to be turmoil. There's going to be wrong values tried to be imposed upon you. Do not back up from those. You have to have something to stand upon. King Hezekiah, when he was overseeing Jerusalem, he, he built within the city an aqueduct, a way to bring in water 
to bring in uh, water through a series of aqueducts and canals that were unknown to those outside. So that when they were attacked or came under siege, they would have a source and supply to sustain them. Can I say that's what it takes for us to stand firm? You better have a source and supply in your life to sustain you. Because when you had those conflicts, those personal problems, you're going to need more than just an education. You're going to need a source and a supply that does not vary, that is always there. And he is that for us. Hold to him. Notice what Paul does next. He addresses first the people, then he addresses the problem. In verse 2, he says, I implore you, Iodia, and I implore you, Sintiki, to be of the same mind in the Lord. These two women, who are named very personally, were in conflict with each other. They were in a fight. So much so, Paul says, I'm going to have to tell you, I have to address this from jail. Their names were unique. One meant to... uh, have a prosperous journey, and the other one had good fortune. Apparently, their journey wasn't going too well. I read this piece, and I I think it's so great. Karen Maines paints this vivid scene, describing a suspenseful moment in a wedding ceremony. Down front stands the groom in a spotless tuxedo, handsome, smiling, full of anticipation. His shoes are shined, every hair is in place, anxiously waiting the presence of his bride. All attendants are in place, looking joyful, they're attractive, and the magical, magical moment arrives as the pipe organ reaches this full crescendo and the stately wedding march begins. Everyone rises. They turn just slightly to try to catch a glimpse of the bride, then suddenly horrified gasp goes across the congregation. The wedding party just stands with a shocked face. The groom stares in embarrassed disbelief. Instead of a lovely woman dressed in elegant white, smiling behind a a beautiful veil lace, the bride is limping down the aisle, ugly cuts, bruises cover her arms, her nose is bleeding, one eye is purple and swollen, and her hair is a mess. question was asked, does not this handsome groom deserve better than this? Alas, the bride, his church has been fighting again. None of us would be surprised if a church got into a fight. None of us would be surprised if denominational leaders butted heads. None of us would be surprised if there was conflict within Christendom. We see it every day. We hear about it every day. It's constant. I have a really good friend, a friend of ours that pastored a a very, very large church in Houston area. We're talking one day. He said, Tim, man, I love Jesus, but boy, his wife is a mess. Sad to say, it's true. Many times the bride is in a mess because of fights, interpersonal conflicts. These two ladies at the Church of Philippi have gone down in history as fighters. 
is a problem. They were, they were contentious, not content, and they'll be remembered for that. That's, that's what breaks my heart about this passage. These women we find out in, next, in the next verse, they really did help. They were workers. They were faithful. They were about the business that God had called them to. They're the kind of people that you want in your congregation. Yet what we know of them and what they are remembered for is fighting. How sad it is to carry on a great ministry for years and years and then come to the end and be known for one conflict or failure. Sad. Ought not be. See, that's why in those previous verses starting in 17, Paul was making reference. You see how we live? Live like that. You need to live a godly life. You need to live a holy life. You need to live a separated life. Not out of selfishness. Not out of a, 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 a an attitude of, I'll just do whatever I want and, and worldliness. It was, he said, you must stay focused on being and living a godly life. And that's why he is addressing this passage and these, these people in this matter. When there is conflict and disagreement among believers, God has given us very, very exacting instructions and clear examples of how to deal with them. In Matthew chapter 18, we, we all know the passage in chapter 18 and verse 15 and on. It says, moreover, if your, brethren, if your brother sins against you, you go. You go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. It goes on to tell us how to carry that out if he doesn't listen. By the way, you don't just go once. Well, I went and I, I confronted him with the problem. That's good enough. I'm going to go get somebody else now. No. Keep going, keep going, keep going until it's dealt with. Stay on your knees. Stay in their faith. Do whatever it takes, but do it personally. 2 Timothy 2, verse 23 and on, it says, But avoid foolish and arrogant, ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. He says, don't get into this stuff. And then he tells them how to deal with it. Go to them and deal with it personally. When you have a conflict with someone or they with you, deal with it, folks. Deal with it. It will not get better. It will not go away. If you learn this principle now, it will, do, it will bode you so well for ministry for years to come. He said, well, I'm not going to have those kind of problems in my church. I don't know what kind of church you're going to. I don't know what kind of ministry you're having. But it's not any that I've ever experienced because wherever I go, there are people. And where there are people, there are problems. Well, I, I, I believe there's a perfect church out there. Please don't join it. You will mess it up. I, I just, I don't think I'm going to have that much of a, yes, you will. The biggest issues pastors and leaders deal with are interpersonal problems and conflicts from Christians who really believe they're right. And that's exactly what he's dealing with. You know what I have learned? If somebody's hurt, 
And if, there's a comp, if they have a problem with me, I have found the best thing for me to do is go to them and say, you know, I am sorry. Please forgive me. Don't give a bunch of qualifications to it. Just say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. How can we correct this? Well, my pride won't let me. By the way, when we get to heaven, he's not going to be giving out laurels and gifts for pride. I believe he will honor humility. But pride is not one of them. Go to them. Humble yourself. It never hurts to be humble. Never. He went to them and, and then he redemptively. Notice, notice what he said in verse, the next part of this verse. Be of the same mind. Now, he doesn't mean that you have to all think exactly the same. You don't have to have the same opinions. My goodness, where two or more are gathered in his name, there are a bunch of opinions. I promise Opinions come and go. But he's saying you need to be on the same page, at least in harmony. Uh, when you go over here and play the keyboard, there, there are a multitude of keys. And there are a multitude of notes there. And each one of them important. Each one of them have the, has their own singular sound. But if they're played in harmony, it makes beautiful music. Thus it is, and this is the idea that's coming across. He said, be of the same mind. Yes, you're different. Yes, you have different perspectives. Yes, you come from a different culture. But you can still go in the same direction with one another if you do it in harmony. Uh, one, one theologian said call, it was a militant unity in a world of unbelief and hostility. Oh, how we need militant unity today. Then in verse 3, notice Paul addresses the peacemaker. He addressed the, the problem. First he addressed the people, then the problem. Then he addresses this peacemaker. Verse 3, he says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement, Clement also, and, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He makes an appeal here. He says, I urge you also, true companion." And that term there, true companion, we, we think it's a personal aim, it, it, but it's more of a play on words. He said, you're, you're someone who, who's good at being yoked with others. You work well with others. You get along well with others. Um, now, that's an agrarian thing that many of us, you may or may not know, but it, there used to be when we would put oxen to pull a cart or a plow, they would build this large piece of wood that went over the neck of each of them and they were attached to it and then the cart or the plow was tied to that so that when both of them pulled in the same direction their force was doubled and he's saying that's what I want you to be he said you you need to be someone who can get along and pull with others work and go the same direction with one another pull forward for the kingdom that's, that's what I need. And so he appeals to this individual, and then he says, here's what I need you to do. Give assistance. That's the appeal. Here's the assistance he asked for. Help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Help them. It's a sad fact today that many believers to, today are, are not really helping heal, but they're still perpetuating hurts. As I say, we have too many buzzard Baptists. They only show up when there's a stink. They gather around and then, what do you do? Well, 
I heard that there's a real problem here, so we get on Facebook and tell others about it. Oh, that helps. Or we'll, oh, I'm going to tweet that. Or uh, I have a blog that I'm going to address this issue. Can I tell you, every one of those things are contrary to how God tells us to deal with problems. Oh, I understand social media. I'm on all of it. I, I use it all the time. It's great. It's helpful. It's a wonderful tool of communication. But my friend, that is not where you deal with interpersonal problems. You go to them personally. You deal with them specifically. You address exactly what the issue is and help people get through the problems. Piling on is not the answer. So, well, I have an opinion. You know, God doesn't give a flying flip about your opinion. I just, I hate to burst your bubble, but he does not. But he would really like for you to have his opinion. What he says from his perspective, from the word of God. That's what matters. Not what you think, but what God says. Notice what he said about them. He said, give them assistance, help them, help these dear ladies who have really worked hard with the gospel, whose names are in the book of life. I, I think that's a, a very telling because he's really going back to verse 20 of verse 3. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the connection there. See, citizens, many times they're, when they were a citizen, they died. Their, their names were just removed from the citizenship. They were gone. They were wiped out. They were blotted out. They were gone. But when you have your name written in the book of life, it's eternal. It never goes away. And he's saying, listen, get help. deal with these issues, correct these issues, help one another correct these issues because you are an eternal family. This is not just going to be for a few days. This is not a temporal thing. This is eternal. Folks, we have eternal matters in our hands that we're dealing with here. We need to be faithful to that. He says, whose names are in the book of life. Dr. Aiken and I, as he mentioned earlier, attended Crystal College together. It was a small school at the time. It was a great school. We had a great education, great time together. One of the things that I remember well about that school is that we had an area called the Wailing Wall. It was a small area where the students would meet and had little cubby holes where professors would put your papers, <laughs> thus the wailing wall. They would put your papers and your reports, and they would also have a, a, a board there that if you were in a pass-fail class, you passed or you failed, or if you were going to move on to the next level of Greek or Hebrews, who would want to? But I mean, you would, you know. And I just remember going to that place hoping my name was written with life and not death. Danny never had to worry about that. He's brilliant. You know, he just, he, he, he graded a lot of those papers, which I still have issues with. 
point is, folks, we're part of a big family, an eternal family. Let's treat each other like we're going to spend eternity with each other. Can we not? I believe God will be honored and you will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you that it never comes back empty. Now, there's so much that goes on about problems or issues. God, we just need to address those biblically with kindness and caring because we're part of a family that's going to be a family forever. So, God, may we treat one another with dignity and respect and do so according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.